Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. The word theology is the study of God. That's what it, that's what it is. It's the study of God. And Bill Johnson has always said that if you, if you are studying the word of God and it doesn't lead you to an encounter with his goodness and with his kindness, then we're studying it wrong. And I think that that's something that we really have to keep in mind. Like as we read the word of God, that we should be reading it not just for an encounter for me to feel good, but for transformation. But we also need to read it to know God, not here, not just here. Yes, we should memorize the scripture, but the scripture is pointless if we don't have it living and breathing inside of us. If it hasn't become one with us, right? Like the, this, the word of God has to be, it says it has to be eaten, it has to be consumed, it has to be put in us, and it has to become part of that, part of us. You know, when we eat food, it goes into our body and then it, it, and it metabolizes into our cells and it, it sends nutrients and all kinds of things into our body. It becomes one with us. That's what it means to, to eat the word of God. It means to read the word of God in such a way that it's not just building your head and making your head bigger. It builds your heart. It filters into every single cell of our body. It's really, really important because otherwise we just become theologians with no heart. What's the Bible say about people who know everything about God but don't have love? It's clanging. It's just noisy, right? The world is full of noisy, religious people. And it doesn't drive people to God. It sends them away. Let us not be those people, guys. So we're, re- we're going to be... I, I, it's so fun that we get to start this, um, this part of the core series uh, right after Easter because it's absolutely perfect. You know, we get to teach on, last week Sean taught on um, just salvation, like the simplest part of the gospel. It's just Jesus died for us, for our sins, and he bore them on a cross, and then he came back, and he rose from the dead, and we get to rise from our sinful state and into a new nature where we are no longer sinners, but we actually get to walk and to learn how to walk into righteousness. It's so beautiful. So he taught on that last week, and then this week we move straight into the core value of the all-sufficiency of the cross. And this is one of those, those series that Sean and I like. It's like one of our favorites. It, it literally makes our hearts come alive. It's because every time we study the Bible, we're finding a new facet of him. God doesn't change. He is the same as he always has been. However, we are always or should be always learning new things about him. I, I've, when we were in India, um, Sean started studying on healing and um, you know, and he would come out of like his, he would study for hours a day. We had no children, so we actually had the freedom to do that. And so he would hole up in his room and he would just dig into the Bible and he'd come out and he was like, look at this scripture. It's amazing. And one of the things that he has always said that he came back from that season of just saying, I just fell in love with God all the more. I just fell in love with God all the more. That's the study of God is that we fall in love with him. We find this part of him and we just go, oh my God. That's amazing. How could I love you more? And then the next time we're studying the Bible, we find another thing and we're just like, oh my goodness. 
how could I ever love you more? And then we just keep building on that one thing after another, right? We just go deeper and deeper into love with the Lord. That's how, that's what it looks like to just go after the heart of God, finding out who he is. When, when Sean and I were, well, so 27, 28 years ago, a lifetime, a lifetime ago, when I was a 15-year-old little girl in high school, this guy kept winking at me in the band class, okay? So don't ask me what instrument I played. I played the flag corps, and then at the end of the semester, I would move out of the band because I can't hold a rhythm to save my life, okay? And so um, Sean happened to be playing his saxophone in the band, and he was winking at me throughout all of the band class every day for like, I think the entire year, I don't know. And, you know, and Sean's Sean, right? So he's the life of, like, he's out there. Like, he's, he was very noticeable, right? Like, he's always, the first time I ever, the first time I lit, literally have any memory of meeting him, we were, it was the summer of maybe my freshman year, and we were um, coming in from doing band, uh, what was it? It was field, Band camp, we were doing field work, right? So we were out on the field doing all kinds of things, learning how to march and all that stuff. And Sean came in, it had to have been really hot. He came in and he had, was switching out his shirts and somebody made a comment to him because he had pulled off one shirt and they made some comment. He turns around, he just like flexes. And I was like, oh my gosh, like who is this guy? You know, just like, how ridiculous, you know? He's doing it back there now. Yeah, very nice. Keep your shirt on, please. This is church. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but here was the thing, like, he, you know, like, I was, you know, just, it was like, he was just one of those guys, right, just, and I w- was very shy and not interested in being around somebody who was always drawing attention because I was wanting to hide, and so months later, after he's been winking at me for a long, long time, one of my good friends came up to me, and he was like, hey, Sean likes you, or he thinks you're cute or something like that, and I'm like, that's nice. I'm looking for a Christian boy. And, um, and he was like, he's a believer. And I'm like, huh, I've seen him. <laughs> that says enough. And, um, and he was like, no, he is a believer. He said he's, he's brand new and he's working out some stuff. He was like, but he, he loves the Lord. And, um, and I was like, that's nice. And he kept swink, keeps winking at me, and I think I blushed like 10 shades of red and would look away from him every time. We'd walk by the hall, and he'd, he'd like step into my view and made sure that I saw him and then and smiled, you know, and he didn't talk to me. He just was constantly letting me know he was there. And then one day in the summer, my friend, the same one who said, hey, Sean likes you, um, we were going over to his house for, for dinner. My f- whole family was very good friends with his whole family, and he and I were very good friends. And, um, and he calls me at the last minute, like right when we're getting to leave, and he's like, hey, just so you know, Sean's over here. He'll be here when you get here. And I was like, <gasps> run back to my closet. And I'm like, what clothes do I need? <laughs> like, <laughs> I've got to change. But here's the thing. That night, we were hanging out, and, um, and Sean started sharing his heart for the Lord, and he started talking about how he came to know the Lord, and he, and he was just sharing what he wanted to do with his life and where he wanted to go. And I found myself discovering a new aspect of him that I didn't know. And when we left that night, I looked at my sister who was with me, and she was like, so what do you think? And I'm like, 
I'm like, well, I really believe he loves Jesus. Like, I didn't know that before. But I know that now, like when he was talking, you could see his heart just come alive. And it was probably a week or then I, was, I said, I was like, if he asks me out now, I will say yes. And, um, and so he asked me out probably within another week or so. And the first four dates, he didn't get more than three words out of me because I was terrified of, <laughs> of dating him. He was very different than I was. A very different person, different, like he had his whole different group of friends. Like we didn't, we didn't really cross paths anywhere in school, you know, except for in band. And, um, and, you know, obviously 27 years later, it's, it's history. But here's the thing. I learned every time we went out with each other, we learned a new, like, aspect of who the other person was, a new facet of each other. Some of them those facets we loved, some things we were like, oh, okay, we're going to have to get used to that one, right? Like, that's what it looks like to learn to know somebody, right? But as we get into a relationship, we, we build, the first time you meet somebody, you meet them, and you get to know, like, you know, okay, that's a mom, and she has some kids, and she's married, or, you know, that's a dad, and he's, you know, whatever. Like, you, you, you have a baseline, but then the more that you spend time with them, the more that you learn things about them, that you learn their character, who they are, Right? And then, you know, in, in a relationship like this, the more that you just slowly find that you fall in love with each aspect of them, the facets, like that you see this part of them, and you're like, oh, I'm going to have to get used to that. And pretty soon, it's one of your favorite things about them, right? Like, I love the fact that he's wild and crazy sometimes. You know, like, I, I love that. It doesn't intimidate me anymore because now I know who he is and I can trust him. That's... That's what this series is supposed to do for you. I want this series to be something like as we learn these aspects of God, the different facets of who he is, that we just fall in love with him even more because his goodness is so incredible. You know, like as we, as Sean and I have learned about the fact that God loves to heal, we just find that we go, he heals our body, he heals our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. We've watched him break mental illness of illness off people. We've watched people get physically healed. We've, we've watched people go from depression into life where they no longer have to deal with depression anymore. And it should draw you to a place where you just love God even more because you see his beauty. You see his compassion over us, his, his kindness, his love, right? That's, that's what we're going after in this series. And as we have studied this, we just keep coming back to this. Like God is all sufficient. He meets every single need. And um, it's pretty funny because I, like, we've had this as a core value for a really long time, and me, personally, didn't realize, so I've always heard the name of God being El Shaddai as God Almighty. I didn't realize that with it carried this aspect of this God who is more than enough. He's the all-sufficient one. So we're talking about the all-sufficiency of the cross, but God's name, like one of his names, literally his nature is the all-sufficient one. He's the God who is more than enough for us. And I, I want this series to also break this off of us. Any of us who have come in here who kind of believe that there was this transaction that happened at the cross where we came up and we were like, okay, I believe that you are God. And I believe that you can take away my sins. And he goes, great, here's your ticket to heaven. Off you go. 
a lot of us can believe that. That's sometimes what the churches have taught is all you have to do is come up and tell God, I believe in you and I believe that you can take away my sins. And he goes, great, here's your ticket to heaven. Off you go. And then you never have to do anything else. Right? That's not who God is. That's not knowing him. That's not learning who he is. It's not developing a relationship with him. That's just a transaction. That's, you know, like if I, when we bought and sold homes in the past, we go into, um, we sit down and, and we sign some papers, right? And literally you have somebody who's running through the paperwork. There's paperwork like this. And they're like, you just need to know these five things about this sheet, sign here. You need to know five things about this sheet, sign here. And you're like, you know, and your hand starts to cramp about the fifth page in, and now you're signing, doing initials here, and you know, but you don't really know what's going on. At least I'm not one who's just going to sit down and read all that because that's a lot of words that I don't understand, right? That's that's a transaction. I walk out of the office and I leave my keys there, and I never see my home again, and I never see those people again. That's not what a relationship with Jesus is about. That's not salvation. Salvation is not a transaction where he hands you a ticket and says, off you go now. That's not what it is, you know? And, and I want to just take some time. We, we were going to take, I told, I, I don't know, I was talking to somebody, I think Marie and I just said, I was like, we could probably talk about this topic until Jesus comes back because like, I think we're always finding new facets about how the cross was sufficient for us. But when we have a God like El Shaddai, I want to ask you this. If we have a God who is the all-sufficient God, he's the God of more than enough, how could he ever become less than himself and just hand you a ticket to heaven? He's not going to become less than his own nature and only give you a tiny little portion right? Because his whole entire nature is the God who is more than enough. He didn't just give you enough. When he died on the cross, he actually gave more than enough. He gave you more than you needed to have a life in abundance. That's what the, that's what the scripture says, right? But here's something else that I, I, I have. We have scriptures. We have lots of topics we want to talk about with this, but but in general, I, I just kept coming back to this. I've been reading um, in my own personal studies with the Lord. Uh, I've been reading through the book of John, just taking it real slow, just taking time with, with the scriptures. And this is coming from my, I don't read the Bible just to study for you guys because, yeah, this isn't just a job. This is my life, right? So I, I have my own scriptures that I'm reading for, for my own self where I'm growing in the Lord. And, and so I was reading, I'm reading through John and I'm getting really close to, well, I'm at Passover. He's just been, he's, he's just getting ready to be turned over to, um, to the Romans. And, and I was processing it this last week, kind of going, you know, through all of John, there were these phrases that I kept coming across that it just surprised me. And it would say, like in the very beginning, John 2, it says, God performed this miracle. And it says, and then his disciples believed in him. And then you read a couple more stories about God's miracles, and then it says, and his disciples believed in him. And then you read a couple more, like you're reading through another couple stories. God does some really cool miracles. Jesus shows up in really cool ways. He escapes from people, you know, and they don't kill him. And then it says the disciples believed in him. And I'm like, wait a second. But all the way back here in chapter 2, the disciples believed in them. They believed in Jesus in chapter 2, and then they believed in Jesus again here. 
And then it says he, they believed in Jesus again here. And I'm like, they weren't getting saved over and over and over again. But what were they doing? They were growing in their belief system. They were literally coming in and they were going, okay, I believe who you say you are here in this moment, in this way, in this facet of who you are. And then another facet of Jesus would show up and they would believe even more in him. Do you see that? Like their beliefs just deepened throughout the entire time. As you read through John, it's, I was, cause I was sitting there going like, wait a second, they, they've already believed in you. But then you start seeing it over and over and over again. You're like, wait a second. They didn't like, oh my gosh, you're the son of God. And then like 10 days later, they just now realize it again. Oh, you're the son of God. Like it was, it was the understanding that there was a different character trait or facet of God that they got hit with in the face and their belief in him, their understanding him, their knowledge of him in their spirit grew and developed, right? Just like when we get to know somebody else. We get to know them on a deeper level. We get these disciples, you see in the scriptures, they began to get to know Jesus on a deeper level and their belief in him just continued to, to thicken and get deeper and deeper and deeper and more intimate. But I think that sometimes what we believe when we see the, the term, the all-sufficiency of the cross, we have this mindset that says, if it was already paid for, then it's already 100% mine. I have full access to it. But I would say that the disciples didn't understand. We don't have, we don't have um, the capacity to take something before we recognize that it's being offered. Yeah. Does that make sense? If, if Sean is offering me a phone from over here, hold that for me but I am so busy looking over here and I'm over here, I'm seeing it. Do I know, can I take the phone from him? I'm talking to you guys. Can I take his phone, the phone? Why? Because I don't know that it exists. I don't know that he's offering it to me. Does that make sense? So we have, you can't steal that. We have, to, we have to learn about God and develop who God is. And so when we look at the all-sufficiency of the cross, there might be aspects that you, you didn't even know you could actually step into because you never understood that they were there. So things like, what is grace really? And how do I step into that? Did you know that you actually grow in grace? You can grow in grace? Huh, who knew that? I didn't. I, I've read that a thousand times, but I never really read it. Like, we'll get to that in, in a little bit in that, in, at the end of this message. But, but I was reading through one of my favorite scripture references, and I missed it because I just read it. It was like, it's, you know, I, Peter, you know, this is who I am. And then he's, like, giving his, like, introduction. And so I just read it as an introduction. I didn't actually read it as a blessing, and I didn't read it as a truth. I just read it as my introduction, and then all of a sudden I stopped, and I was like, whoa, I can grow in grace and mercy. What does that look like? What does that mean? You know, and so then you start to dwell on that. You start to get to know God in greater grace and greater mercy. How do you do that? This is what this message series is meant to do. It's meant to call us into getting to know him better, to want to, to go deeper into the word of God. And I would suggest to you that if you are not taking time to read the letters that he wrote to you, your heart's probably grown a little bit cold. 
Because if we aren't interested in what he's written to us, we're not really interested in more than what he can give us. It's not a two-way street. It's a little side note for you. Read your word. Okay, Luke 9, 23 says, he was saying to them, this is Jesus talking, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? Take up his cross daily. When we're talking about the all-sufficiency of the cross, there is a responsibility that we are asked to do, and that is to pick up our cross, to recognize that we have things that have to die every day. We have to choose to die to ourself every day. This is where we have to begin to understand that we are going to choose when we wake up in the morning and a thousand times throughout the day, we're going to live Christ-like, right? Because how many of us know that we sometimes want to live misty-like for me? I want to live like I want to live. I want to be able to, you know, veg out when I want to. I want to be able to scream at the person who cut me off if I want to, but I actually have to choose to die daily to myself and live for Christ, right? So I'm picking up the cross daily, and I'm, I'm recognizing that my death has to remain on the cross. Like, I have to choose to remain dead to self and alive in Christ, not the other way around, right? Every single day, it's a daily choice. And Jude, Jude only has one chapter, so I'll say Jude 1, but only because you might be confused if you're saying 20, 20 verse, verse 20 and 21. It's not an entire two chapters that we're going to read to you. It's just two. Two verses. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Let me, let me explain that to you. So building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Okay? The word building yourself up, it, the word building, it really, this phrase means that we are actually, it's to be a builder, it's to be a builder. And the other half of that word actually means to be superimposed. Superimposed is to be layered, right? So what does it mean? It says we're building ourselves up. So if this is what the disciples did, okay? I'm going to come back here. The disciples started off with recognizing that Jesus was the Son of God, and they believed in him. And then they saw something else about the facet and the character of God, and they superimposed that belief into their, the next one. And they built themselves up. Do you see that it was built up just a little bit? And then as they continued life with Jesus, they continued to see another character part of God that they were being called into, and they superimposed that belief on top of the next, and they built themselves up in God right? And so as they begin to know who God was over and over and over again, they begin to build themselves up. They were building something, right? And they were super, they were layering their knowledge of God and their love for God on top of each other until it was creating depth, right? Until when Jesus, when Jesus died and he rose again and he ascended into heaven and he commissioned his disciples, they had such depth of knowledge of who God was that they, they were solid. Their foundation was solid. They understood who he was and they were able to carry the good news of Jesus to the world because there was depth in them. Does that make sense? This is what it talks about when it says building yourselves up on your most holy faith. How do we do that? 
We do that by knowing who God is. So we have the sufficiency of the cross, right? The cross is all sufficient, but we actually have to step into it and allow it to become part of us. We have to consume it until it literally becomes digested in our bodies and it oozes out of us. We have to know that we know that we know that God is good. So that when really hard stuff shows up in our life and we go, oh, I don't know that he's really good in this area, I can, like, that, that question, right? People will come and say, is God really good because my situation doesn't look good? I can go, man, your situation doesn't look good, but I know that God is good in it. Let's start asking him for where he's at in this situation. Because I know that without a shadow of a doubt that he is good even in this situation. He is showing up as powerful in this situation. How do I know that? Because I've taken time to go deep with him. I've taken time to allow myself to be built up into him in such a way that I have depth of character and depth of knowledge of who God is, right? It's really important that we understand that because while this, the cross and all of his benefits are available to us, until we step into each one and begin to absorb it, we don't really have access to it. Not because he hasn't given us access, but because we haven't stepped into the access he's given us. Does that make sense on the difference? He has given it all. It's there. He's standing there holding it out to us. But if we refuse to turn around and to look and to come over and to physically take it from him and begin to explore everything that's there, right? There's a lot to explore on your phone, right? If he's handing me something, that there's something I get to explore. There's a lot that I get to explore if I choose to do it, but I have to choose to do it. How many of us have a phone, you have five buttons on there that you look at and you're scared of the rest, right? Sometimes it's like that with technology. Sometimes it's like that with God. We're comfortable with these five things, but man, the rest of it scares us, so we refuse to even look at the rest of it because we're just scared we might mess something up. Man, God's bigger than that. And he's given it to us as a beautiful blessing to be able to, to step into. All right, I'm gonna, we're going to not focus on some of the other scriptures. I, I really want to just focus in on, on the first couple verses here. So out of 2 Peter, we're going to read more than what they tell us to let you read in a, on a sermon. Sorry, it's going to happen. Brace yourselves for hearing the word of God. It's good for you. <laughs> All right, for 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and it says, Simon Peter, a bondservant, this is the person who's writing the book, and he's giving who he is. Simon Peter is a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's writing the book to those who have received a faith of the same kind of our, as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So stop there for a second. So this is Peter. He's telling you who he is. He's a bondservant to God, and he's an apostle, right? Which means a bond, slave, a bond servant, bond slave is the person who has chosen to literally become a slave to their master. They have not been enslaved. They actually have chosen the life of enslavement. So he has literally said, I have chosen to become a vessel that, that God gets to use in any case, in any way, in any part of my life. I'm no longer mine, but I've been bought with a price and now I am completely his. That's what it means. And then God chose him as an apostle, right? Let's read the next verse. This is the part that I skipped so many times, not intentionally. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our Je of, of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God 
So I read that, and I was like, what does that mean? Like, grace and peace be multiplied. Okay, so grace and peace can be multiplied to me. So do I just ask and pray for peace and more grace? Like, how many of us could use some extra peace? Right? Like, there's some crazy stuff happening outside. We could use some extra peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's not just a nice thing that, Paul, that Peter's saying. He's not just giving, it's not a salutation, whatever it is, like a, a greeting. He's not just giving a nice little greeting that says, I hope you're doing well today. That's not what he's saying. He's actually blessing them with something. He's teaching them something in that first little section of, of the letter. What is it? What's he teaching us? He's teaching us that grace and, and peace can be added to us. It can be multiplied within us. In what? The word in could also be the word by. By the knowledge of Jesus. So how does grace and peace become multiplied in us? By the knowledge of God. What does that mean? Well, that means that I pick up my Bible... And I begin to fill in, right? I begin to add to my knowledge of who God is. And as I'm adding to the knowledge of who God says he is in his word, and I begin to experience him in a different way, I begin to grow in what? Grace and peace. So if you need more peace in your life, then what do you need to do? Study your word, gain knowledge of who God is, and find that peace and grace begin to be multiplied to you because you're learning and growing in the knowledge of who God is. Right? So the all-sufficiency of the cross is something that we want to learn. So how do we learn it? How do we gain the knowledge of it? Well, we're not, first of all, we can't be afraid of it, right? We have to choose to step into something and to go, okay, I've never experienced this part of God. You say at harvest that God is the healer God and he paid for that with his blood on the cross to heal us of our sicknesses. I need to grow in the knowledge of what that looks like, right? I need to begin to study the word of God and to come to my own conclusions on if God's showing that as a truth to me. I need to begin to let him show me through experience and through through wisdom and through knowledge and through understanding, but it's also through a heart connection with him, okay? So Peter is, I always try to say Paul, Peter is actually showing that in the beginning, like as we're gaining knowledge, like knowledge is, it says in, in um, Proverbs, that to gain knowledge, to, per, to go after understanding, right? And so we're supposed to pursue that with everything. And it's not just knowledge. It's not like I just need to know how the moon works, or why the moon exists. It's not that kind of knowledge. It's the knowledge of who God is. Go after it with everything. Sell everything to go after the knowledge of God, to go after wisdom and understanding. That's what it's talking about, right? And so when you do that and you begin to, to dive into knowing God, and it's not just knowing him here or here. It's knowing him here. It's to literally come into an experience with him, to, to step into an encounter with God in these aspects that will begin to grow in grace and peace. Okay, and then we're going to read the rest of this. I'm going to kind of shoot through the next section. Okay, so I totally missed my spot. First, Second Peter 1, 3 through 4, it says, so now we're having grace and peace multiplied to us, seeing that, or it says, in that manner, his divine power 
has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers or partners of the divine nature, having escaped or separated to be rid of, to be freed from the corruption that is in the world by lust. That's a message for another time. All those underlines are for another message. Keep reading through verse 5 and 7. Now for this very reason, look at this. Applying all diligence. So what are we supposed to apply? Diligence. What does diligence mean? Who can give me an answer to what diligence is? It's persistence. What I talk louder. Tenacity, right? Obedience, intentionality. Okay, so we're supposed to supply all tenacity, obedience, persistence. Okay, all. Everything in us should be going after this. That's what it's saying. In your faith. So applying all your diligence to your faith. Apply all diligence in your faith. There's actually some different translations that actually move the comma from the word diligence to the word faith. Applying all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, supply knowledge. And in your knowledge, you're supposed to supply self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. We could all use some of that, shouldn't we, in the world today. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Do you see how you're adding to you're not putting them all out into separate little containers. You're actually adding these things to your life with all diligence through the knowledge of God. As you know God, you're adding these things into our life. And we might focus on one, like God might be focusing on one aspect of him in this area and he's adding it to your life and it needs to be absorbed into you, right? And as you absorb that one, you add the next layer. This is how we grow in God. This is how we grow in the knowledge of God. This is how we grow in grace and peace, is that we're adding these things to our life. Let's read why, okay? Verse 8 and 9. For if these qualities that we just talked about are yours and are increasing, right? They're yours and they're increasing. So they're increasing in the volume of being put into your life. They will render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. We can't neglect that last verse because it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Because if we look back at that list and we're like, hey, I'm not very good at self-control. And then I read verse 9, and it says, if I lack these qualities, then that means I've forgotten the purification of my sins. I've been, I'm blind or short-sighted. What does that mean? Is that a condemnation, or is it an encouragement? It's an encouragement, because the verse before it says, what? It says, if they are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless 
nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord and Jesus Christ, right? So what does that mean? Well, that means that if you don't have something, go after it. Fill it in. Ask God to begin to teach you through the knowledge of him. And at, with all diligence, you begin to pursue what self-control looks like in the knowledge of God. What does that mean? By understanding who God is and his character towards you and how he's called you to act and think and behave, you begin to learn how to have self-control because it's a fruit of the Spirit as well, right? And as we walk in the Spirit, we are led by the Spirit and we will become like the Spirit and we will begin to walk in self-control because it's not just something that we have to learn, it's something we have to absorb. Because as we know God, we will know self-control because God teaches us self-control, right? Does that make sense? It sounds almost too good to be true, but as we get to know each other, you know, when, I, when, I, when somebody comes up and they're like, Sean said this to me, I can, I can tell you flat out if he said it to them or not. Why? Because I know him. You know, or if they were like, well, Sean was mean to me, he said this to me. Well, okay, he said that to you, then that was clearly a joke. I know Sean. I know that the way he speaks, I know that his jokes, I know the, way, the manner in which he jokes, I know how he acts and talks and thinks, right? So as I learn and I get to know God, you know, I begin to understand his character and it becomes part of me, right? How many of you guys have seen old couples who've been together for their entire lifetime who begin to look and talk and act a lot alike, Right? They begin to go hand in hand and they, they begin to look similar. They dress similar. They, you know, their, their character traits, they say the same words, right? Why? Because they're becoming like each other, becoming one. Our goal in our life as Christians is to become one with God. It's to understand all the facets and to become like him and to grow into likeness with him, right? And so we should begin to start to look like him. I think it's really important that as we, as we go through this, you're going to find these different facets of God. And you're going to be like, hey, I don't know that I want to research that one. That one scares me like the grace of God is overwhelming to me. Or I don't think I deserve his mercy. You don't deserve his mercy. That's what mercy is, right? Mercy is undeserved favor, right? So yeah, no, we don't deserve it. That's why the word mercy exists. The word mercy exists is saying you don't deserve it, but we're going to give it to you anyway. You know, how many of us have done that to our children? You know, they've been crazy all day long, and you're like, I really wanted to give them a good gift, but they don't deserve that good gift. And then there's something inside of you that says give them the good gift anyway and call them into something better. And so out of mercy, we bestow a beautiful gift on our children who don't deserve it, and then we call them in with our love to something better, right? That's what mercy is. That's what the cross was. The cross was mercy poured out for us. We didn't deserve Jesus coming and shedding his blood on the cross for our sins. We didn't deserve it at all, but out of his kindness and his love and his mercy over us, he poured it out and he gave us that gift anyway. You know, and we get to grow in the knowledge. There's other scriptures that talk about being able to grow in mercy. 
You know, so you can grow in grace, you can grow in mercy. What else can we grow in? I think we can grow in the entirety of all the beautiful things of the Bible, right? So if we're studying things like the fruit of the Spirit, we can begin to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because we're getting to know who the Spirit is. Because we're gaining knowledge, head and heart, of who God is, and we're beginning to experience Him. You know, so, so we're going to be talking about you know, the fact that the cross was enough, and it was more than enough. It did more than what we could ever want, ever imagine that he did. And every time we step into, like Sean and I will be reading, I'm like, man, did you, did you know that the cross even covered that? Like the, the, the moment when we realized that he was, um, he, what was it? What's the scripture that says um, he, he, our shalom? It was, he, the, yeah, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. It's, it was that he took, like he gave us, he took non-peace, whatever that is, all of the extra, the chaos of the world, and he was beaten, and he handed us peace. And the word shalom is so multifaceted. It doesn't just mean no war. It means so much more. It even means, like, even into the pieces of it, it means reconciliation and relationships. So he died for reconciliation and relationships. Right? Like, he died for our bodies to be made whole, body, soul, and spirit so that we could, be, we could come alive in him. Right? He, he set us free, and he called us to live in abundance, to have life in abundance. That means joy unspeakable. He filled us to the full with joy, right? Like, those are the benefits of the cross, but we've just, it's like we sing the songs, but we never let it penetrate our heart and to go, God, what does that mean? How do I get to know more of that? I need to know the knowledge. I need to gain the knowledge of this facet of your beauty, of who you are, and I need to fall in love with you even more in this area, right? We, we need to be able to take the scriptures, and when we read the Bible, we're asking him to let our hearts come alive. You know, like when, when the disciples, when Jesus had been raised from the dead, but a few of his disciples were on a trip. They were going home, and they didn't know that he had been, he had been resurrected. And they were on this trip, and Jesus shows up, but he's disguised, and he's disguised himself with his coolness, right? And he's able to, like, I don't know how you do that. Like, how do you show up to somebody, start talking to them, and they have no idea who you are when they walked with you and loved, lived with you for three years, right? So he was, he had done something really cool, right, to make himself incognito to them. And he's talking to them, and when he begins to turn around, I think, and he starts to leave, they were like, they were like, oh, he, he made himself visible to them. They're like, our hearts were burning within us. We knew something. They, they recognized him because their hearts came alive. Hey, shh, stop talking. <laughs> He's here next week. <laughs> But, but here's the thing, their hearts were burning within them. Why? Because they knew God and they knew him. They had knowledge of God in their hearts. They recognized him to their fullness inside here. It wasn't just head knowledge. He, they knew him. And so even though they couldn't see him and understand that he was there, much like it is when he lives inside of us, it was like they just, their hearts were burning because they recognized something about this guy. I know something, like something just comes alive in me, Right? It says, it says that the disciples looked at him at one point and said, you have the words of life, where else would we go? 
the words of life, they recognized it in their souls that he had something that they needed and that was making them come alive. This is what the word of God still does for us. You know, but the word of God has to be taken in and has to be imposed into us, superimposed into us until it becomes layer after layer after layer of the knowledge of God in all of his multifacets, right? There's a song that we sing that says, You're, you just keep on getting better. Like, such a great song. And the truth is, is God doesn't keep getting better because he's already good enough. He's well beyond. He's the all-sufficient one, right? Like he literally can't get better than he already is because he is good. Like he is the literal word. The word epitomizes God. He is good. But our understanding, our knowledge of him makes us understand that into us, to our hearts, to our spirit, he keeps on getting better because I learn this new facet of him. And I just fall in love with him here. And then I'm like, oh my word, you have this for us too. Like we can actually be one with you. You actually living inside of me and, and the, the very power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me and he wants out. How good are you? And I've come alive and I find out that you're just even better than I thought you were because now I've learned a new facet of you right? And then I begin to learn about his mercy and his compassion and his kindness over us. And we begin to look back at our life and see that it was literally his mercy and compassion and kindness that kept us alive all of these years. And you fall in love with God even more and you go, oh my goodness, you just keep getting better, right? He's not getting better. We just understand him more and we are gaining the knowledge of him and it should cause our hearts to burn within us. It should cause our hearts to be set on fire where we then have to share it with people around us because we're like, man, did you know he just keeps getting better? He's just incredible. He covered that. Oh, he took care of that too. Oh, he took care of that too. Did you know that you have this? Oh, God covered that for you too. And pretty soon you go, what didn't he cover? I, I can't find a single thing that he didn't cover. Right? Okay. So that's what we're going to talk about for the time coming. And we're not sure how long that's going to be because we're not going to rush this one. Because this is such an important thing that we have to continue to discover the different facets of who God is and his character. And we have to fall in love with him. All again, every single day, we have to just keep on falling in love with him. Right? All right, so let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you. We don't forget your benefits, God. We don't forget your, yeah, your loving kindness, the kindness of your love over us, God. That you are El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, the one who is more than enough, God. We just thank you that you are more than enough to me. God, would you show us how we can just get to know you, God, that you would come in and you would layer our knowledge on you, of, of you into our souls. God, that we would begin to eat and breathe and to ingest your word in a way that we would just come alive, that our hearts would burn for you, God. Jesus, we just thank you that you've paved a way, that you live inside of us and your Holy Spirit teaches us the word and you come alive with the word of God in us and you're the power that sets us free. And Jesus, we just, yeah, you didn't, you didn't leave any stone unturned, God. You didn't say, I'm going to cover all these things except for this. You're going to have to work this one out. You said, I'm with you always. 
I never leave you. I never forsake you. I'm teaching you. I have wisdom for you. I have understanding for you. I have knowledge for you. And I've given you the power and authority to walk in righteousness. Yeah, God, we just thank you that you have done everything for us. And we just choose to say today that you would, we step into all diligence with you, God. I just, I feel like for some of you that you actually need to repent of not being diligent in your heart going after the Lord. So repentance is the changing of the way that we think. It starts with the God. I recognize that I haven't been living an all diligent life. I haven't been going after who you say you are. I haven't been going after your word. I haven't been going after knowing you deep inside of me. Would you forgive me for that? And would you begin to change my mindset so that I can then begin to be fully in with you? That everything that I put my hand to, God, would be with all diligence in the knowledge of you, growing in the knowledge of you, God, with all diligence. I choose to commit to that today. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarnsburg.com. We hope to see you soon.